Hello and welcome to the Harvest Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We are honored that you would click on this and listen to God's Word preached by one of our elders. At the same time, we strongly affirm the biblical mandate for Christians to be a faithfully active and in-person part of their local church. This sermon cannot and will not replace what a local church can provide to the life of a Christian. That being said, we hope that this sermon challenges and encourages you in your faith and that it builds upon the faithful ministry of your local church. We hope that you enjoy. God bless. Last week as we covered, as we're as a church making our way through John's gospel, and we started with this conversation. John's gospel is full of lengthy conversations that Jesus has and after this one you'll see in chapter 4 it's with a Samaritan woman but here this one was with a Pharisee this was a man who's a Pharisee we're told not only is he a Pharisee who's a very religious sect he is the teacher of Israel he's also a ruler in Israel as well and Jesus as he come to Jesus in the veil of night looking for some kind of assurance that he was doing the right kind of things. And Jesus pretty much rocked his world and said, nope, you can't do the right thing. You must be born again. There's nothing you can do, Nicodemus. It is all that God must do in your life. And you must be born again by the Spirit of God. And we pick that up in verse 16 this morning. And you all probably remember when you learned this first, didn't you? You, you may remember, maybe it was at a vacation Bible school or uh, you name it. Or you probably remember what age you were when you memorized this, this verse, John three sixteen. 16. Um, me and uh, my son Watson, what we do whenever we're in a public bathroom and parents, you're always concerned that your kids don't wash their hands long enough, aren't you? They, they just do it for about two seconds. You know, that's not going to be good enough. So... Um, so what I try to do with Watson, and this has led to many interesting conversations in many public men's restrooms, is uh, we say John 3.16 together as we're washing our hands out loud. And so many people, what what are you saying? You know, so anyhow, it's interesting, but, um, but Watson has learned John 3.16. And um, it, it's one we should all know, isn't it? It's interesting, wherever Christianity has flourished, this verse is well known, and rightfully so. Martin Luther said this verse is a little Bible. It's a little Bible. And there's a real sense that everything before John 3.16 flows to John 3.16. And everything after it flows from it. It really is a a mountain peak of of the Bible. I mean, it really is a a little Bible. It's it's an acorn uh, with a forest full of truth in it. And so this morning, um, this is really about the love of God. And I I hope this morning that the Holy Spirit will accomplish a couple things. You know, last week, one of our prayers was that if those who are present, if you are not a Christian, that the Holy Spirit would make it plain to you that you're not a Christian. Or if you are, he'd make it plain that you are a Christian. And and we talked about ways that you kind of can know that you're a Christian or not. And how you can know if you've had the new birth, if you've been born again. And we said there's a couple signs of that. There's a humility that comes along with it. There's a love for Jesus. Um, all these things are signs of the, of the new birth. Do you enjoy the gospel? Do you want to be around in part of his church? There's fruits of being born again. 
And um, so we, we spoke about that. But if the Lord, you know, revealed to you maybe that you're not a Christian, one prayer I have this morning that you would see how you can possibly become a Christian. Well, what it is that is on your plate, what God has done and what you must do to be saved. Secondly, this morning, if, you're, if you are a Christian, and, you know, the Bible says if you're a Christian that the Holy Spirit will attest with your spirit that you are a child of God. So in your spirit, if, if the Holy Spirit testifies to you, yeah, you are a child of God, um, then I hope to accomplish a couple things this morning. One, I have found that a lot of Christians in their Christian walk do not truly believe that God loves them. I, I, I don't know how many times I, I, I've had a question like this as a pastor. Um, do, I feel like God's punishing me for this. You ever thought that? I feel like God's punishing me for doing this. And certainly there is discipline from the Lord. Hebrews 12 uh, says he loves his children and all his children. He disciplines. Sure you are. But a lot of some Christians I have found find that God is out to get them. That God is waiting for them to do wrong so he can strike them. I, I hope this morning, if that's you as a Christian, that you'll see that God loves you. Uh, as a Christian, as ironic as that sounds, I pray that would be accomplished. And two, if, if you are a Christian, that you would be able to share the gospel with this verse. You know, uh, if we, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we have an opportunity to share the gospel, which we should be seeking, let me encourage you, why look anywhere else than John 3.16 to share the gospel? I, I usually, when I have an opportunity and, and, and somewhat am not a afraid to share the gospel, and I find myself many times ashamedly afraid, but that uh, Ephesians 2.8, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, but it's a gift of God, lest no one should boast. I, I usually gravitate to that, but why not John 3.16? It's so sweet, it's so good, and so I pray you'd be able to share the gospel this morning after the sermon using John 3.16, and so that being said, um, like I said, we're talking about the love of God. Uh, if you think about the context here for just a second, that Jesus, without doubt, who would argue Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time? Almost anybody from any religion would say that. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. And here you arguably have the greatest teacher of all time teaching the greatest subject of all time. Okay, About himself. So th this is no doubt one of the greatest verses of all times. And, and so I've seen a little plaque somewhere, and, um, and first, you know, you, you know the verse very well, but the, little, the plaque said, um, For God, that's the, who is the greatest giver, so loved the world. That's the greatest degree. He so loved that he gave his son. That's the greatest gift that whosoever believes. That would be the greatest uh, opportunity. Who should believe in him, in Christ, that would be the greatest attraction. That they should not perish, that's the greatest promise. But they should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the greatest certainty and the greatest possession. So no doubt, one of the greatest verses in the Bible is what we're covering here this morning. And so that being said, let us start in verse 16, and let us read down to verse 21. For God... Let's just all read it together. Don't you want to do that? Don't you just want to scream it and sing it? Well, let's not sing it, because I would hate to try to lead somebody in singing, but surely we can read it together. <clears throat> 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning and seek his help and illumination. Father, pray this morning that you would open our hearts, that we might just taste, just a sip of your love, that we might see it in these verses, that we might hear it, that we might feel it, that we might be changed to the image of your Son. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So what do we see here in these verses about the love of God? First, I want to say this. We see the origin. Just just a couple things this morning. We see the origin of God's love. We see the origin of God's love. And and it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Who is it here that's the subject of this love? It's God. For for God. You know, this this is a Trinitarian verse. After all, we Baptists are rightfully so uh, Trinitarians. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is a Trinitarian verse if you think about it. Who is, who, when it says, For God so loved the world, He gave His, His only Son. Who is that referring to? Well, surely it's referring to God the Father. Friend, I think if any person in the Trinity seems to be left out of modern church today, it is God the Father. God the Father. Uh, he gave His only Son. Who's the Son? Jesus Christ. And who has Jesus been saying that you must be born again? Who must do this work in your life? God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, salvation is a Trinitarian work. And, and, and just illuminating the Father here for a minute, this is He who gives His Son. Over and over again in John's Gospel, you hear Jesus saying this, I am sent from heaven. I am the sent one. He is sent from who? The Father has sent Him. Who authored? Who designed salvation? It's God the Father. Who, who is it that elects? Who is it that designs? It is God the Father. He is the author of salvation. Um, there's sometimes I see this error in, in, in Christians that they believe that the only reason the Father loves them is because Jesus twists his arm. You know, they believe, and some would say it like this, that um, God loves me because Jesus died for me. God loves me because Jesus died for you. You know, that's not really, that's not really the case. Jesus died for you because God loves you. Do you see? It, it isn't like Jesus is twisting the Father's arm saying, you got to love him because I died for him, Father. No. The Father sent the Son to die for us. 
It is he who gave his only son. It is God the Father here who is the, the subject of love. He's the subject of love, of this love here. And 1 John 3, 1, I love that verse. It says, what manner of love is this? Friend, this is a great love. It's a, when Jesus Christ, when the light came into this world, it was a tsunami of love. It was a perfect love, a vast love, a boundless love, without flaw, without blemish. It was a measureless love. And First John, who wrote this gospel as well, he says, what manner? You can be trans. What nation, what world is this love from? And we're going to see it's, it's not from this world, but it's from, it's from God the Father. God the Father. For God so loved the world. Where is the origin of, of this love? Well, for God so loved the world. Um, I had a quote here I wanted to read to you. I thought I could memorize it, but I have failed at that. The origin of love is in, of course, God himself. What is the object of the love? Well, for God so loved the world. Well, I had to ask ourselves, what's the context here of John 3.16? Well, he's talking to Nicodemus. And there's been a lot of theological debate over what the world means here. And if you put in Nicodemus's mind, remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a Jew. What would he have thought when Jesus looks at him and he says, God so loved the world? What would Nicodemus have thought about that? Well, Nicodemus, being a Jew, he believes that God loves the Jews. Uh, the, especially the Pharisees, but Jews in general, very sectarian. They, they would believe that, yeah, God loved the Jews more than anybody else. That God's love was truly just for the Jews, not for the rest of the world. You, this is seen in the story of Jonah. Do you remember the story of Jonah? God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. And does Jonah go? No, he runs the opposite direction. And remember, he jumps overboard and the whale swallows. Luke, you remember the story? And the whale spits him out where? Well, the beaches of Nineveh. And he goes and finally he preaches, even though he didn't want to. And the whole city repents. They all get saved. And instead of holding a big baptism service, what what does Jonah do? He goes out and pouts. He's mad about it. Why? He hates the Ninevites. He doesn't love them. He doesn't love the Gentile world. He loves the Jewish people. God's not supposed to love those people. But God does. And when God looks at Nicodemus, when Jesus looks at Nicodemus here and he says, Nicodemus, God so loved the world. He's talking about the magnitude of God's love. God's love is for every corner of the earth. It's not just for you Jewish people. And as we as Gentiles this morning, we can say amen to that. That God's love is is for the whole world. But question, why does he love the world? That's what we're getting at this morning. Why does God love the world? Is it that God looks down on the world and he goes, some good people over there. Some good people over there. Some good people over in this region. Yeah, I like those good people. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all, friend. What, what does the Bible say here about the world? Well, look at it. It says in verse 19, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. The Bible says that the world is in darkness, that the world is 
workers of evil. What is Romans? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The world is in darkness. Um, you ever heard somebody say about their kid? I hear this quite, quite a lot. Some kids on my basketball team got in trouble. And, um, as I coached the middle school team um, uh, at, the, at school, and uh, one set of parents said, you know, my kid's just around the, he's, 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 he's just got bad friends. Your kid's never the bad kid, are they? You know? Yeah, those are evil people over there. Like, my kids, he's just, he just runs with the bad kids. He's not the bad kid. No, he's the bad one, actually. He's the ringleader. <laughs> and for a week, we can look around and say, yeah, those are evil people over there, friend, but the, the evil is right in the mirror when we look at it. Um, the, and, and, and when you've got to take the truth about God's word, is what's it say in verse 20? Everyone who does wicked things. You know who does wicked things? Everyone. And all those who do wicked things, and the Bible says, the Bible says if you say without, you're without sin in 1 John 2, you're a liar. You make God to be a liar. And if you do wicked things, the Bible here says you're evil. Here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. You know, we can throw that kind of cliche saying away. God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Just one problem with that. It's not true. Psalms chapter 5, verse 5 says, God hates all those who do evil. God hates the evildoer. Friend, that's the bad news because we are the evildoers. We are the ones in darkness. We're the ones who don't come to the light because we hate God. We hate the light. We hate it. And that's the condemnation. That's the world that God loves. God loves this world in darkness that he created, by the way. He gave life to, but now they all hate God because they love evil instead. And that's you and I in our natural state. It's you and I in our natural state. What else does it say about the world? It's, and just to make my point that God, God hates the world, well, look in verse 17 at the end of it. Um, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He said God sent Jesus into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. What's that world? That, we throw that word a lot around Christianity, don't we? I've been saved. Hey, I'm saved. Hey, they got saved. Hey, he got saved. She got, they've been saved. What does that mean? We gotta ask, saved from what? What are we saved from? Are we saved from Satan? Are we saved from loneliness? Are we saved from purposelessness? Are we saved from poverty, sickness, disease? No. The truth of the Bible is you're saved from God. Friend, and the word saved means to be rescued from immediate danger. In verse 14, when Jesus talks about Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. Numbers 21, all of Israel had turned their back on God, and God sent snakes and vipers to bite them. It sounds, worst nightmare to be thrown into a pit of snakes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, what was the old show with Joe Rogan? You know, what was the name of that show? Fear Factor. You know what they put them in like, ah, I'm done. I quit. Like, I'm not even, I'm not, no, I'm done. I quit on that one. I fear. I'm out. Okay? That's what God does to his people. Because they turned on him. They're workers of evil. They're evil people. They, they get snake bitten. Friend, and they're, they're full, filled with venom and poison. That's us in our nature. We're born like that. Children of wrath, Ephesians 2 says. We're snake bitten people. And the immediate danger that we all have is God. Uh, on down, if you read, I'm not going to spoil it for next week. The Bible says God's wrath is upon us. Those who don't believe in Christ right now, God's wrath is upon them. He's angry with them. 
hates them. That's bad news because why is that? Because God is holy. God is just. And it says here that in verse 18 that whoever does not believe is condemned. They are already condemned. Those who don't believe in Christ are already condemned. Have you ever uh, heard people say, I don't know how many times I've heard this around here. I'm just hoping my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. One, just one, one little problem with that. Nobody's keeping record. Are you, are you hearing me? Nobody's keeping record because the sentence has already been passed. You're already condemned. God's not in heaven saying, did this bad, this bad, this good, let's wait. No, he's already passed the judgment. You're condemned. People who don't believe in Christ are condemned. Friend, you're born condemned by God. Ephesians 2, you are born dead in your sins and your trespasses. Condemned. You are condemned. The Bible says in Adam, Romans, 8, Romans 5, all fell. Here's the truth. When Adam fell, you fell too. You were, when Adam was condemned in the garden, you were condemned in the garden too. If you're a Christian this morning, before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you, you stood condemned before God. God's wrath was upon you. You were in darkness, you're evil, and he hates evildoers. That's the bad news of the Bible. Because God is holy and good, and we're not. And if you take John 3.16 and say, God so loved the world, but you don't read verse 17, 18, and 19, you will not understand the love of God at all. You'll miss it completely. If you think God is kind of like us, he's not really holy and righteous and perfect, but he's kind of like, he's kind of human. You know? And if you think man is not totally depraved and you think man's kind of good and he's kind of born, maybe good, maybe bad, just depends on what he does. So if you exalt man a little bit and you bring God down from where he really is, you'll just think, well, God, God's love's not really that big a deal. No, do you see that God is holy and perfect and we are evil and wicked and he hates evil and wickedness? And the greatness of God's love is that it spans that chasm. That he loves, he loves an evil world. He looks on our world and he doesn't say, there's some good people over there. No, he says they're all evil and I condemn them all. Where then, here's my point, where does the origin of God's love come from then? It's in himself. God doesn't love because he finds that what he likes. He creates that what he likes. Um, let me tell you, you can know something. If I ever don't like you, I'll put you in this situation. You, you'll know, men, if I ever, you'll know I don't like you if I put you in the, If you're ever before you're someone, wife or girlfriend or something like that, I say, Austin, why do you love Sierra? If you freeze, you're dead. Right, you're in a terrible situation right there. Like if you don't answer it right then and there, you're done for. Right? You better know the answer to that right now. You're all thinking about it. It'd be great to put that in, in Thanksgiving card, maybe for your wife's uh, Thursday. Okay? I mean, because if you freeze, you're dead. Why do you love your wife? You love her because you look at her and you say, "I love her because of all these things I see, all these things I know, all these things I've experienced about her." Your love for her originates in her, not you. That's worldly love. And friends, that's just us. That's, we're human beings. That's how we love. We don't love that which we don't like. We love that which we like. That's just who we are as humans. It's not how God loves. It's not how God loves at all. God looks on this world, and there's nothing in us to make him love us. Martin Luther said, we're, God doesn't love us because we're valuable. 
we're valuable because God loves us. God's love starts within himself. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. God's love doesn't come from something he sees in us. It comes from his very being. It starts with him. This is love, he says, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be appropriate. So where's the origin of God's love? It's in God. It's in God. For God so loved this world, this dark world, this evil world, this condemned world. And friend, that's you and I. So that's the origin of his love. What's the showcase of his love or the sacrifice of his love? Well, that he gave his only son. You know, you read something like that and you just wish you were a better preacher. That you could explain it better. That you could say it better or illustrate it better. I mean, he, that he, how, how is it that he loved? He loved that he gave. So what does this word gave refer to? Does it refer to the incarnation? You know, coming up on the holiday season, I hope you haven't started playing Christmas music yet. I hope you're not one of those people. I really hope you're not. My, the Christmas tree at my house has been up for over a month now. And it's way too long. I'm just telling you. My wife's sick and out, so I can I just tell. I'm just letting them venting a little bit. It's been out too long. It's been out too long. I want it should be the it should be on Black Friday. That's when the tree should come out, and that's when the music should start. It's leave it for what it is, you know. I mean, that's when it's time. Okay, it's not time yet. Okay, everything has its time in Ecclesiastes one, right? It has its time. It's not Christmas time yet. It's Thanksgiving time. Okay, you may disagree. You're wrong. It's okay, but everything has its time. But you know, it, what's the Christmas song? I was thinking about that song. No crying, he makes the little Lord Jesus. Are you kidding me? No crying, he makes. I guarantee you, baby Jesus in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago cried. You know, we paint it like this manger scene, like it's beautiful. And you got it on your mantles, I know. All these, you know, you got these wise men and these shepherds. It's this beautiful little scene. Have you ever seen a child be born? It's not. It's, it's not. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a miracle. I've got two, I'm telling you. But it's, it's not pretty. There's nothing like take a photo of it you know what I mean like it's just and those that do it anyhow it's just not that and especially Mary's birth giving birth to Jesus nobody would give her anywhere to go to have it she's a pregnant teenage girl who everybody thinks is an adulteress and nobody will give her a place to have a baby there's nothing no crying he may about that situation at all Jesus stepped into a God and stepped, become man and stepped into a world that didn't want him, that was in rebellion, that hated him and mocked him every step of the way. And, but this verse really isn't talking about the incarnation. It's truly really not talking about his life. This word gave, he gave is, is back to verse 14. That as Moses in Numbers 21 lifted up that serpent in the wilderness so that the Son of Man must be lifted up. You know, this is like a parable. I, I imagine Nicodemus, when Jesus told him this, Nicodemus probably nights after nights just couldn't stop thinking about it. You ever hear, like, you ever got one of Jesus' parables in your mind, like the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, and you just can't quit thinking about it? Like, it's just like, what does that mean? He's just, you just, you know, all over and over trying to dive, and it just takes time to really dig into what Jesus is getting at. I bet Nicodemus did that here. But this, he says, the son of man. This isn't like a, uh, title like, oh, he become man, like he's one of us. No, Son of Man is an Old Testament, Daniel 7. The Son of Man is the one in heaven in the Ancient of Days, in the throne room of heaven. This is an exalted person. 
that Jesus is saying, that's me. That's his favorite title for himself. I am the exalted one. I am the one from heaven, he says. And he, he, he says, the son of man will be lifted up like that snake was. That snake in Numbers 21, God told them, God told Moses, take one of those serpents, take a bronze, make a bronze one, put it on the pole. And it was a sign of the curse. And anybody that looked at it would be healed. Jesus is saying, not that I will be exalted, that I will, I'm going to the cross. I will be lifted up. And I will be cursed. And when he says this is love, that he loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation, that means he took, propitiation means he satisfied the wrath of God. He gave up, think about it, God gave his only son to be crucified on a Roman cross. Do you know the uh, Muslims will not believe that Jesus is the Messiah because of the way he died? That is too embarrassing. Uh, no way could God send his son to die like that, they say. No way. And, and what does Corinthians say? That the cross is foolish to those that are perishing, isn't it? But it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. There was no worser way to die than a Roman crucifixion. A Roman crucifixion was, uh, was to say to everybody else, if you do like that guy did or that woman did, you'll have to suffer that same thing. It was to deter any kind of rebellious or wrong action against the Roman. It was the worst kind of execution, the most painful, painfully imagined. Jesus went through it. God gave his only son for that. But that wasn't the worst part of his death. The worst part of his death was the spiritual part that he took our sin upon himself. That The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin and he took the wrath of God for that sin. That was what was the worst part of that death on the cross. And here's the deal. He, didn't, he gave his only son to do that. It, it wasn't... He didn't give an angel. He, he, he didn't get, you know, I don't, you ever hear people I, this saying, um, you know, God owns cows on a thousand hills and we just need him to sell a cow or two. You know that? <laughs> I heard that a couple times. It's kind of funny. He, he didn't send one of a cow. He didn't send a cow. He didn't send an animal. It would have been easier for God to give the whole world than to give his only begotten son. I mean, I'm just going to be real for a minute. I got two of them. I got two sons. And I love y'all, but I ain't giving one for you. Like, I, I'll light a candle for you, you know, like, and, uh, but I ain't giving one of my sons for you. Like, it just ain't, just ain't doing it. But if, if I, if I did, I still got one more. You see what I'm saying? I still got one more. And here's the deal. God didn't, he didn't have, he doesn't have a bunch of sons. He has one unique the one begotten here means unique this is the only son and it's not a son he created this is the eternal god john 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god the word became flesh who's who is the only begotten son what is unique about jesus jesus is co-eternal john 1 says jesus created this world the son created this world the creator of this world he sent to it his only eternal by substance and nature, God, he sent. There's nothing greater he could have sent. And, and here's the deal. If I was going to give a son, which I'm not, it would be to somebody I really love and care for. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't. He, he gave it for people who hated him. Romans 5 eight. 
God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners in rebellion, hatred, enmity with God, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That's how much he, he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Love that part, whosoever believes. I think about when Christianity started in the Roman Empire, how Christianity grew among the, the servants, the slaves, the lower class people. I think about how in the 1500s, it was the peasants that really sparked the Reformation. <laughs> it was the peasants. It, it, I, I can't help but think about even in early America, when I was, reading, I was talking about the history with somebody of um, early Baptist churches in America where slaves would come to church with their, their masters, and, and, how, <laughs> and the slave had to hear these words, whosoever believes, man, woman, rich, poor, slave, free, no matter who, whosoever believes. Um, we were in Nepal, and I was talking to the, our driver who um, was a Hindu, and we were talking, trying to share the gospel with him. He said, I like Christianity because uh, Greg was, was with us when we were talking to him um, because there's no um, caste system. Uh, and they've still got like 80 caste systems in, the, in Nepal and India today. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, if you're, you're born in this caste, you're better than everybody. And one of the things we shared with them is the gospel. <laughs> in God's sight, the king of Nepal and the drunk in the street are all sinners in his eyes. <laughs> and whosoever, from, from the king to the one in the gutter, can believe in him and be saved. That's the beauty. Whosoever. Whosoever The gospel is to be proclaimed to everybody so that whosoever believes. Let me say this about this word believe when it says believe in him. Let me say this about it. it it's simpler than you think, but it's harder than you think. It's simpler than you think, but it's harder than you think. And here's what I mean by that. To, to, be, to, to become a Christian, he, he didn't say give $10,000. He didn't say to become a Christian, um, run around the a building, you know, 20 times. He didn't say you got to get baptized. He, he didn't say you got to do any of these things. There's nothing you can do. Your works, even your best works, like filthy rags before the Lord. But you must believe. And, and what is biblical belief? Biblical belief is that you have to believe in Him. A lot of times this word in is translated into. Um, you, you have to believe, it's the same word, ace in the Greek, into Him. Um, we talked about biblical faith last time, but there's a sense in which, you know, I can believe in the state of South Carolina. Like, I can believe it exists. I love Myrtle Beach. I love Lake Hartwell, the whole nine yards. All right? I can believe in it. Like, I can believe that it's a real place, but it's something different for me to go into it. For me to get into South Carolina, I got I to gotta, I gotta get all myself into that. I got to cross the state line, don't I, to get into it. I got to believe it. It's one thing for me to say, yeah, I believe Jesus exists. I believe, I believe all that's true. That, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is getting into Jesus. It's following Jesus. It's, it's saying with both feet, I've got to truly forsake all and follow him. That's biblical faith. And friend, have you done that? Have you truly, with all of yourself, followed him? It, like I said, it, it's simpler. It, you don't have to do anything. But in one sense, you, it's simple. You have to believe, rest, trust, 
fully in Christ alone. But it's harder than you might think. It's harder than you might think. Because what's the condemnation? Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked thing hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Um, You ever heard the ABCs of salvation? Nothing wrong. I ain't got nothing on them. First part's admit. Admit that you're a sinner. And we kind of just say, hey, you just admit you're a sinner and believe in Christ and confess him. Yeah, that admit part's a lot harder than you think it is. You can't just say, hey, I'm a sinner. Yep. No, 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 no. You've got to leave your sin. You've got to understand that your sin is what separates you from God. You've got to leave it. You've got to come to the light. You've got to leave it behind. And you think about the gospel. You think about John 3, 16. You think, why would anybody deny Jesus? Why would anybody reject Jesus? Like, why would anybody? Here's God. The world's condemned. He's about to pour his wrath upon them for all eternity in the place the Bible calls hell, where his conscious punishment, a place the worm never dies. It's a place of eternal fire, the lake of fire. It's his wrath. That's the worst thing about hell is God. But yet he sent his son. If you would just believe in him, you would not you would not perish, but you would have why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? Why, who, who would say no to that offer? Everyone. That's what it says. Everyone says no to it. In yourself. In your, why? Because you hate the light. You hate it. Because you're, you're evil and you're, you don't want your deeds to be exposed. So for you to become a Christian and accept Christ, you've got to leave the darkness and come to light. So many preachers have did so many people so much harm by saying, if you come to Christ, you just come to him. Leave your, you won't be lonely anymore. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus so you can get some money. You can get some, you can get some health. Come to Jesus so you won't be lonely. You'll get purpose. Come to Jesus. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Jesus didn't die so you'd have purpose, though you will have purpose if you come to Jesus. He didn't die so that you won't be lonely, but you won't be lonely if you come to Jesus. He, he didn't, he didn't, that's not why he died for you. He died because you're a sinner, and God's judgment is upon you, and he took his judgment upon himself. And if you tell people to come to Jesus for any other reason than what we just said, that's a false gospel. Beca- why? Because God's light is not shed upon their sins, and they're still in the darkness. If they don't leave the darkness and come to the light, friend, it is simple, but it is hard. That's why Jesus said, count the cost before you follow me. It won't cost you 10%. It costs you 100%. Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it. He who loses it for my sake and the gospel will find it. Jesus said, you ever seen those people start building a house and they run out of money and how people laugh at them? Well, friend, you decide that you want to follow me, but you don't consider the cost, how much it's going to cost to follow me, which is everything, to leave the darkness and come to the light. You're going to be left behind. It's harder than you might think. Eternal life. Friend, what a promise that we wouldn't perish if we believe in him, but have eternal life. Friend, without this eternal life that he talks about, friend, church is just a ritual. Church is it's just a walkthrough. But friend, it's eternal life. There's two things about eternal life you've got to know. It is the duration of life. It is forever. But friend, it's also the quality of life. It is the kind of, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And when you're born again, 
Here's the great thing about this eternal life. When you're born again, it's the life of God that comes into your soul. Right here and right now. Salvation is about getting man out of the darkness into the light, out of earth and into heaven, but it's also about getting God out of heaven into man. It's also true. God's life comes into your very being. That, friend, here and now is eternal life. Let me end with this. God loved you enough. He loved the world enough to send his only son. Let me say this. God does not love us enough, and God does not love you enough to ignore him. God does not love you enough for you to ignore him and try to gain access to him by any other way. The only way we can cry, Abba, Father, is through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is the gospel. You think you can share the gospel with John 3, 16? You think you can do it? For God so loved the world. And the, who's God? Who's the world? Holy world, darkness, evil. But despite of all that, he sent his only son. He gave his only son. He gave him unto death and death on a cross for our sins. That whosoever believes what is true faith, you got to get in Christ. Got to leave the darkness, come to the light. And friend, you will not perish if you do that. What a truth. But have eternal life. Friend, that's the Bible in a nutshell, isn't it? That's the Bible in a nutshell. Do you believe God loves you? I mean, do you really believe it, Christian? He, he is your father. Do you really believe that God loves you? He's not out there if you're a Christian. He's not looking to spite you. You know what, you know what Romans 5 says? If he did not spare his only son, will he not freely give you all things? If the father loved you enough, to give his only begotten son for you. What? He has nothing else to hold back from you. He wants to give you everything. The Bible said the meek shall inherit the earth. We are children of God, co-heirs with Christ. Hmm. Today, if you've never believed in Christ, if you've never truly got in him, don't leave this place today without talking to somebody that was up here on this platform, without talking to me, Pastor Alex, Pastor Chris, Miss Amy, if you'd rather talk to a lady, Brother Jeff, talk. We'd love to share this gospel. Father, thank you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website, harvestbc.church. If you would like to contact us, please email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com or you can call us at 706-780-2211. If you are looking for a church home or visiting the North Georgia area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning. 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall for breakfast and Sunday school, and then at 11 a.m. for our Lord's Day worship service. We hope that you have a great week. God bless.